bless the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. I want to thank all of you who have supported us and continue to support us financially with your donations so we can produce uh, these uh, podcast teachings to bless many, many others. I am thanking you uh, from the bottom of my heart, and I know that the Lord is blessing you back. And if you have not yet uh, blessed us with a financial donation, please consider doing so, so that we can pay for studio time to produce more teachings and uh, reach many, many more people. Uh, to donate into this podcast ministry is really simple. We have a safe and secure website. Here is the address for your donation. Uh, the address is drruthtani.org slash donate. Again, drruthtani.org slash donate. And if you live here in the USA, you can use Zelle. And here is a Zelle telephone number where you can send in your donations. It is 909-501-9031. Again, 909-501-9031. We also receive donations through Cash App. Here is the cash app address, is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. And from the bottom of our hearts, here at the ministry, we say thank you for your donations. And we are trusting God will bless you back, even as you join hands with God and our ministry to advance his work. Again, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Welcome. Dr. Ruth continues. Okay, welcome to today's teaching. We are down to the last few chapters of the book of Numbers. Wow, this has been a journey. So today, we will cover Numbers chapters 32 through 36. Let us uh, begin with Numbers chapter 32, what is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, we will learn how a couple of tribes approached Moses and they wanted to settle in the Transjordan area before they crossed over to the promised land. And we will learn about Moses' reaction towards them and we will find out that Moses would act prematurely, okay? So uh, so let us get into this and learn some principles from the Lord. Numbers 32 verse 1, the Reubenites and Gidetites who had very large herds and flocks saw that the lands of Jezah and Gilead were suitable for livestock, Verse 2, so they came to Moses and Eliza, the priest, and to the leaders of the community and said, Atora, Dibon, Jeza, Nimra, Hesbon, Ilili, Seben, Nebu, and Biha. Verse 4, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Verse 5. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. 
Do not make us cross the Jordan. Let's pause. Here's what's happening. If you recall, the Israelites had subdued the Amorites and they had subdued the, their land. And remember, the Israelites are en route to the promised land. So they are already conquering and taking possession over certain lands on their way to the promised land. So these two tribes, leaders from the two tribes, the Reubenites and the Gedeonites, came to Moses. They said, hey, we have already won or over or um, possess this land in this area even before we cross over to the Jordan to the promised land. This land that we have possessed from the Amorites, give it to us right now, right here. This is our possession of God's promise because we have large animals, large livestock. This area is suitable for us our, and our families to raise our livestock, which Bible scholars agree that the, the area in the Transjordan area before the Israelites had even crossed to the promised line was very uh, fertile, was very rich to raise livestock. So the request from the leaders, from the Reubenites and the Gadianites, was not out of selfish motives. It was true. They just said, you know what, even though we are still going to go to the promised land, even though we are en route to the promised land, but we've already conquered this land from the king of Amorites. Let us settle here. We don't need any more possession. So essentially, they were content before they received God's best. And, and there are many ways to look at this. One way is some, I've read some scholars said, these leaders from the tribe of Reubenites and Gardenites had no faith. <laughs> that it was a faith issue. That they, they prematurely settled in the land of the Amorites that they had, they had um, conquered because they did not have enough faith that when they crossed over to the Jordan and into the promised land, that the land in the promised land was going to be better. So some people say they didn't have faith. Others, however, said no, it was not a faith issue. It was just an issue where they were content and the land was good for livestock and they just decided that they were content where they were and they accepted that it, it was also a blessing from the Lord to have conquered the land of the Amorites so they wanted to settle there. Either way you look at this, one thing is clear that the tribes of Reubenites and Gardenites, they were content. They accepted their possession before they got into the promised land to even see what was ahead of them. Okay? That is what is happening here. And we are going to learn about Moses' reaction to them. Verse 6, Moses said to the Gardenites and Reubenites, should, you, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Verse 7, why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord had given them? Let's pause here. You see, Moses had been through a lot 
by this time, as we know. He was dealing with a lot of frustration, mistrust, okay? So when these leaders approached him, without him pausing to consider what they were actually saying, he quickly rationalized, he quickly concluded that they were disobeying the Lord. Moses quickly concluded that the leaders of these two tribes were like their forefathers who were stiff-necked and disobeyed the Lord. So Moses prematurely accused them. <laughs> and in verses 8 all the way to verse 13, Moses went on to explain the whole situation, how their forefathers disobeyed God in the wilderness and God, God's anger uh, was aroused and he, he killed them. And he just went on to say that only Caleb and Joshua would get into the promised land. He just relay how this uh, uh, new generation uh, wanted to act like their forefathers. You can read those verses on your own, verses 8 uh, through verse 13. Moses was just lamenting, and this was all prematurely. Okay? And then we see uh, more of his uh, lamenting in verse uh, 14. Moses, Moses is saying, And here you are, a broad of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. Whoa. This was... Um, this was wrong in Moses' part because he did not quite get the full story. And we will find out the full story very quickly here. Verse 15, if you turn away from uh, following him, he will again leave all these people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. So Moses prematurely assumed that the, the leaders of these two tribes, the Reubenites and the Gadianites, had, had ulterior motives, that they were going to disobey God, that they weren't going to get into the promised land to possess the land that they wanted to settle there. And as such, he got very angry and was giving them uh, the lecture. <laughs> but then... In verse 16, let's, let's, let's listen to their response. Then they came up to him and said, We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children. They were truthful, okay? Building of pens is like they, they were going to build like a, a cage house or like a zoo, okay? Or like a house where their livestock could be, could, could be raised, and to protect them from wild animals. So if you've seen uh, animal pens, it's like a, a mini zoo, okay? Sometimes with, with uh, fortified walls, okay? To uh, prevent um, wild animals from attacking them. So this is what the leaders were saying here, that they would like to build pens for their livestock because the land was uh, good for um, livestock. But look at verse 17. But we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. Verse 18. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. Verse 19. We will not receive any inheritance with them 
on the other side of the Jordan, because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan, right there. So you see what I mean by Moses was speaking prematurely. He had already accused these leaders of wanting to disobey God like their forefathers. And he went and gave this whole lecture without actually hearing their opinions. Now, we are hearing from the uh, tribal leaders that they truly, they are content to choose their position right now, but they will be willing and they will go with their brethren, the Israelites across the Jordan and fight to possess the land. But once the land is possessed, they will not get any inheritance in the land of Canaan because they have already chosen their inheritance here on the east side of the Jordan. So that is what we see uh, going on. So now we know that the tribal leaders of the Reubenites and the Cardinites tribes had uh, correct motives. But Moses just spoke probably out of frustration. So again, we really have, as leaders, the principle is that we really have to listen to people fully, okay, evaluate their motives, pray about it before we rush into conclusions. And we know Moses is a man of God, or he was a man of God, and he listened to the voice of God. Probably Moses was just tired. Probably the request of this Two tribes brought back bad memory from the past, and he wasn't going to deal with that anymore. So probably Moses spoke out of frustration. But the principle is that as leaders, when people bring their problems or concerns to us, we should not quickly rush into conclusions about their motives. We should listen to them, pray about it, discern before we speak. Okay. So in verse uh, 20, all the way to um, 21, we see uh, Moses agreeing with them, with, with what they have said. And then in verse uh, 23, we see Moses saying, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. This is a popular uh, verse of scripture. So really, all Moses was saying that Moses was agreeing with the leaders of the two tribes who said they would go to the promised land to help their brothers to overcome and possess the promised land. So Moses was telling them that, okay, I agree with you. You can settle here, okay, on the east side of the Jordan, but you must go over to help your brethren to fight and overcome the promised land. If you don't do this, your sins will find you out because you would be sinning against the Lord. Okay? Again, another principle comes in mind. When we choose to be content with God's blessings, a lot of times we prematurely accept mediocre blessings and we say, oh, I take it, you know. The Lord may want to promote you as a manager where you work, but you may be content with a supervisor position. That, that, would not be God's best for you. God's best for you may be to be the manager over the whole thing. But if you decide, if you choose to be a supervisor, you should still be willing to help others who are, who are, who are uh, attempting to become managers. I hope that is clear. So the principle is that when we are content with 
the blessings of God in our lives, we should still help others who want to, to, to strive for more. We should still help others who want to, to work hard for God to bless them or others who want to attain the, the, the most of God's blessings in their lives. So that is a principle here. We should not just be content with, with what we have and then cross our legs and enjoy it. No, we should go help others. Just like we see these two tribes saying that they will go help their brothers possess the promised land, even though they were content. That is a principle there. Okay, so we see in verses uh, 25, the Gadonites, the Gaditites, I hope I am saying that correctly, and the Reubenites said to Moses that uh, their children and wives and flocks and heads will remain in the cities of Gilead and they themselves will go to fight before the Lord. I had already explained that. In verse 28, we see Moses giving orders to Eliza, the priest, and Joshua, son of Nun. Remember now, Joshua was going to be the one to actually lead the Israelites into the promised land. Moses was giving all these instructions, knowing that his death is imminent. He was going to be dying very soon. So he was relaying this to the priest and Joshua and just telling tell him then that, hey, listen to what the Reubenites and the Gadidites tribe tribal leaders have said, you make sure that they cross over, okay, uh, to the promised land and fight with their fellow Israelites and to possess the land. And when they do that, only when you see them cross over to help, then when you distribute the land, you can be certain that you give them the land that they have accepted as their own possession. That is what is happening in those verses. And in verse 31, the Reubenites and the Gatidites, they agreed. Okay. And now in verse 33, we are also learning that the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, also <laughs> decided that they were going to settle, okay, in the land of the Amorites, uh, along with the Gadites or Gadites and the Reubenites. So verse 33 reads, Then Moses gave to the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdom of Shehun, king of Amorites, and the kingdom of Oak, king of Basha, the whole land with its cities and the territory around them. So we are learning here that the half-tribe of Manasseh also came forward along with the Gaditites and Reubenites to say that the land of the Amorites, they want to claim it as a position and settle there. But they will still go over to the promised land to help the other tribes to possess it. So two and a half tribes actually got their possession before they actually got into the promised land. And the uh, rest of those verses, the verses... 34 all the way to the end of that chapter, which is verse 42, just went on to explain how these two and a half tribes rebelled the cities, rebelled the walls, and they settled there. You can read those verses on your own. So we now come to chapter 33, which is a very, very phenomenal chapter because it truly, uh, the gist of this chapter is that the Lord told Moses to write down the, the journey of the Israelites, okay, to pen everything down 
that way uh, we today we have this and then further uh, generations or future generations would also have that. So uh, that is the gist of this chapter. And Moses wrote everything down, their entire journey up, up, up to where they were before they possessed the promised land. And so we will not go over all of this. You can take the time to go over this journey step by step on your own because these are things we've already covered. Uh, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and even in the in the book of Numbers. So uh, let's take a look at verse 1 out of Numbers 33. Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Verse 2, at the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey this is their journey by stages. This is amazing. And it went on from verse 3 all the way to verse um, 49 to just list step by step. And Bible scholars say that if you were to go back and retrace these steps, it would uh, supernaturally amount to 40 years. Isn't that something? Wow. Amazing. So you can go and just read all of these steps, their stages, how they traveled. And if you are inclined to that, you go and do the math and you would really come to the conclusion that at the, at the end of um, verse 49, there that is uh, almost about 40 years of the journey of the Israelites in the wilderness. So I will let you read all those uh, verses, but let's take a look at verse 9. Let's highlight that. Aaron was 123 years old when he died. I wanted to just highlight that. He lived a long life, not as long as his ancestors, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, but 123 years was was long time. And uh, let's come down to uh, verse 50, okay? Verse 50, I am still in Numbers chapter 33. Let's read verse 50 out loud. Powerful principle here. On the plains of Moab, by the Jordan across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, verse 51, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, verse 52, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Verse 53, take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Verse 54, distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a large group, give a larger inheritance, and to a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will be theirs. Distribute it according to ancestral tribes. Let's come to verse uh, 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. Verse 56. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. 
powerful. These verses, okay, verses 50 through 56. Let's go back and highlight certain active verbs here. Wow. Look at verse 52. Drive out all the inhabitants, okay? Destroy demolish, take possession. We see how the Lord is giving the Israelites direct orders to go into the promised land and possess it. Destroy all the idolatry worship over there. Don't take anything for granted. Don't cohabitate with their sinful practices. Destroy it, demolish it, possess it. God is like, I have given it to you. You walked in there and possess it. God is strengthening them. Just like today, he is telling us, as it is written throughout the New Testament, resist the devil and he will flee from you. God is telling us, cast out all demolished imaginations. Stand against the wiles of the enemy. Active verbs. He is giving us the authority to do this in the name of Jesus, just like he was giving these Israelites the authority to go and possess the land. Okay? And, and I really like the way the Lord said it in, in verse 55, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become thorns in your sight. There is a powerful principle here which the Lord Jesus teaches us out of the Gospels. One come to mind, Matthew 5, 30. The Lord said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out. It's the same principle where the Lord was telling the Israelites, when you go into the promised land, demolish the idols, drive out the inhabitants, possess the land, do not cohabitate. With, with, with their idolatry. In essence, do not live side by side with sinful practices. Do not tolerate sin. Do not allow their sinful practices to affect your godly lifestyle. Do not allow their demonic ways to influence you. Demolish all of them. Drive them out. Possess the land. A lot of times as Christians, we, we play with sin. Mm -hmm. we, we have a tolerant attitude towards ungodly things, towards sin. But the Lord is telling us right here, we should not have any tolerance for sin. We should not joke with the devil. And what does that look like? Today you have Christians who, God bless them, are doing their best to walk in holiness, sexual holiness I'm referring to, and then they meet a guy or a woman mm -hmm, who is a pagan, who does not believe in the Bible, a pagan whom if God was to stand in front of him, he would not even recognize God or whom him or her would not even recognize God. You have this Christian dealing with this pagan and this Christian is lusting for this pagan. And the Holy Spirit is there warning you, don't go out on dates with them. Don't do it. Don't do it. And, and you would Sometimes the Christians will say, oh, no, 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 I'm strong. Oh, I am celibate. I will not fall into that temptation. 
or I won't do it. And at times, God would even send friends on this Christian's path to warn them, don't be alone with this man or woman, okay, behind closed doors. Don't spend as much time with them because you're lusting for them. Avoid that sin. Turn away. Don't do that. And the Christian would be like, oh, I'm strong, friend. The flesh is weak. Eventually, what happens a lot of times, that Christian would fall into that temptation and, and have sexual intercourse with that pagan and defile themselves, okay, and bring upon much pain and suffering into their lives. That is how sometimes godly Christians tolerate sin because they hang around the pagans who practice these things too much. They hang around the pagans who don't love God too much. They tolerate their lifestyles too much. And as you start to tolerate your sinful lifestyles, it will rub off of you. And before you know it, you are going to be acting like them. Friend, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus is not saying that you should literally cut off your arm. Jesus is just, it's an hyperbole. Jesus is just saying that you should have no tolerance for sin. You should not be messing with the territory of the devil. You should not be trusting in the flesh. You should avoid sin or sinful environments totally because the flesh is weak. That is the same principle we see happening here where the Lord is telling the Israelites, when you go to the promised land, Demolish their high places, referring to their, to their uh, pagan altars. Take possession of the land and you settle there. You drive them out. Don't cohabitate with them because their sinful, dem, de, uh, demonic lifestyle practices will affect you and you will start acting out like them. And the Lord said that if they didn't do that, he would turn his face against them. He said that in verse 56. Friend, unfortunately, as we would proceed in this teaching, you will learn that the Israelites got into the promised land. They didn't do what the Lord told them to do. They didn't dem demolish all of the pagan altars. And before long, they started practicing pagan worship, child sacrifices, and God turned his face against them and they suffered. And we will learn as we proceed. Okay? That brings us to chapter 34. Now, the Lord is going to give them instructions how they would distribute the land when they get into the promised land. I really like this chapter because we see a very fair God. We see God was not going to just lead these people into the promised land and then let them get there and try to figure out how to distribute the land. God prepared them perfectly. God prepared them, gave them spiritual instructions, instructions for how to distribute the land, how to deal with the foreigners. God really did everything faithfully. All of this is just highlighting God's faithfulness, how he will not do things in our lives haphazardly. God will do things in our lives completely, perfectly. But it is up to us to obey and carry out his instructions. So these uh, boundaries, most of them are no longer in existence. So I'm not going to highlight every verse here. I will just skip some of this. But the principle is still applicable that God guided and led them till the very end because God is faithful. 
Okay? So let's take a look at verse 1 out of Numbers 34. The Lord said to Moses, verse 2, Command the Israelites and said to them, When you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance is to have these boundaries. In verse uh, 3, uh, we see the southern side boundary is discussed there. You can read that on your own. We come to verse 6. Here is the boundary on the western side that is described all the way to verse um, 9. We come to verse 10. Verses 10 all the way to verse 12 described the boundary on the eastern side, giving them specific instructions how they have to uh, carry out or place the boundaries in the land or where the boundaries will be, okay, in the promised land. In verse 13, Moses commanded the Israelites, okay, assign this land by lot as an inheritance. Essentially, Moses just went on to obey the Lord and gave the Lord's instructions to the Israelites about the boundaries and how the, they have to distribute the land by lot. We had discussed this in previous uh, chapters, how they had to cast a lot and then they had to decide which uh, tribe goes to the east, west, okay, or the south, and then the larger tribes would inherit larger land. We talked about all of that. So you can go back and re-listen to those teachings. And then verse, verses 16 all the way through 18 went on to describe the how certain people would be appointed to out of each tribe and will be assigned to be responsible for the distribution of the land to make sure everything is carried out correctly. You can read those verses on your own. That uh, begins in verse 19 all the way to uh, verse 28. And obviously we see Caleb. He was one of the leaders out of the tribe of Judah who was uh, a leader to help with the distribution of the land to make sure everything is done correctly. Okay. And in verse 29, these are the men the Lord commanded to assign the inheritance to the Israelites in the land of Canaan, just like I had been saying. Okay. And that brings us to the end of that chapter. We go straight away to chapter 35, which is another very interesting chapter highlighting God's uh, justice and fairness. Okay. And it would talk, this chapter will highlight the towns for the Levites and it will talk about the cities of refuge for those who commit murder and we will see how God would display his justice in dealing with those who have been who have been accused let's take a look at verse 1 out of numbers 35 on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho the Lord said to Moses verse 2 command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess and give them pastoral lands around the towns. Verse 3, then they will have towns to live in and pastoral lands for the cattle they own and all their animals. Now, remember, the Levites were not supposed to own property. So these um, animals were animals that were 
given to them, donated to them as part of the sacrificial uh, system. So the Lord is saying to Moses, be certain that the Levites had towns and they had a place where they can keep all of their possession. Verses 4 through 5 went on to give more details about the lands for the Levites. You can read those on your own. And then we come to verses um, 8. Okay. Uh Six of the towns you give, the Levites will be cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them 42 other towns. Verse 7, in all you must give the Levites 48 towns together with your pasture land. So we see the Lord uh, doing something here. The Lord is saying that six towns have to be dedicated to the Levites for uh, towns or cities where people who have killed somebody can go temporary and hide until their cases are judged. Let's come to verse 9 to get more details about that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, verse 11, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. Verse 12, there will be places of refuge from the avenger so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. Isn't this awesome? We see God the judge telling us how he would judge people. He will not accuse people prematurely. He will give them the opportunity to stand trial. That is what we see here. These cities of refuge were supposed to be cities where when somebody commits murder, they were to go there until their cases are judged. Then a decision is reached. Okay? We see God, God's um, attribute of uh, fairness highlighted here in these uh, verses. Verse 13, these six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Verse 14, give three on this side of the Jordan, referring to the east side, and three in the Canaan as cities of refuge. Awesome. So three of those cities were to be across the Jordan in the land of Canaan once the Israelites crossed over to possess the promised land, and the other three were supposed to be in the Transjordan area. Okay, so in the rest of these verses, the Lord would explain in depth the difference between killing and murder. Essentially, who has to go to the city of refuge and who wouldn't. You can read those verses on your own, but I want to just highlight a few details here. Let's take a look at verse 16. If anyone strikes someone a fatal blow, with an iron object, that person is a murderer. So these verses just gave examples of who a murderer was. Any person who intentionally kills somebody. Anyone who had premeditation and killed somebody, that person was considered a murderer. Or anyone who had malice afterthought in their heart. That is in verse uh, 20. Or anyone who kills an enemy. 
all of these the Lord considered murderers and they would be killed as well. Again, we are seeing here death sentence. So verses um, 16 through 21 is just highlighting how the Lord is saying that all these people who premeditated to kill others have to be killed. They are not the ones to go into the city of refuge. Okay? That is what those verses are teaching. And then the Lord is saying that the ones who would go into the city of refuge are the ones who kill someone accidentally. That is what we see in verses 22 all the way to 26. Um, in verse 22, it reads, But if without enmity someone suddenly pushes another or throws something at them unintentionally or without seeing them, drops on them a stone heavy enough to kill them. Essentially, the Lord is saying that if somebody kills unintentionally, okay, since that other person was not an enemy and no harm was intended, meaning that there was no premeditation, the assembly must judge between the accused and the avenger of blood according to these regulations. Okay, verse 25, the assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood. That is it right there. So if the if a person kills unintentionally, the assembly has to protect them from the avenger and that person who killed unintentionally had to go to the city of refuge until the priest dies. After the priest dies, then the person who was in the city of refuge can then return to his own home. Okay. This is uh, said in verse 28. The accused must stay in the city of uh, refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may they return to their own property. That is what I was just explaining. So we see how the Lord provided temporary protection for somebody who killed someone unintentionally. Okay, so that the uh, avenger or the person that was hurt does not kill kill them. However, as we will learn, if the person who is being protected in the city of refuge decides to leave the city of refuge before the high priest dies and then try to return to his, his or her property, well, then the avenger or the person whom was hurt or a family member or somebody else may kill him because he disobeyed the laws of the Lord and left the city of refuge and went to his own property when the high priest had not died. That is what the rest of those verses went on to uh, explain. Of course, today, these cities of refuge are no longer in existence. Rather, today, we have prisons or uh, jails where criminals are temporarily placed on hold until their cases are brought to the judges. However, the principle that the Lord has taught us with regards to these cities of refuge are still applicable, okay? And remember, the key principle here is God's justice, his fairness, and his protective care towards those who are innocent. 
And then, verse 30, the Lord just want to explain again that anyone who kills a person is to be put to death. Okay. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Again, we see the fairness and the justice of God. You need a witness to another witness before somebody can be killed. Today, as New Testament believers... God is just. God will still judge all the unbelievers, all of us as Christians. We are not going to be judged by God unto condemnation. No, because Jesus took upon our sins on the cross. But God would judge us as to how we use our gifts and talents and we would receive rewards in heaven. But the unbelievers would be judged, okay, on the witness of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, and they will be judged on the witness of the Holy Spirit who is in the world today, convicting the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. So you see how God needs witnesses before somebody can be judged, okay? And that same pattern continues how even today, the unbelievers will be judged based on the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Again, God is consistent. Verse 31, do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer. God just went on to say that people should not take bribes. <laughs> oh boy, God is so boy, God is so good to us. God gave us all these laws, how society has to run. My goodness, if we can only follow the laws of God, we would live peacefully. Wow, but we have an enemy who is out there to deceive people that the laws of God are not real. Well, they are real, okay? Okay, so uh, verse 32, do not accept a ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow them to go back and live on their own land before the death of the high priest. Just what I was saying before, the Lord is saying that, okay, if the person who kills somebody accidentally and was sent to the city of refuge if that person leaves the city of refuge and goes and live in their own property well if they are killed it's on them that the uh, no ransom or or bribery has to be collected on their behalf because they disobeyed his laws and left the city of refuge before the high priest died and went into their own possession so if they are killed their blood is on them and verses 33 to the end of that chapter is just, the Lord is just saying that they should uh, obey his ordinances. Okay. Essentially, if they carry out his instructions correctly, the land would not be polluted. But if they do not carry out his instructions, the land would be polluted. Uh, in verse 34, that is highlighted here. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. So that brings us to the end of chapter 35. We come to the very last chapter of the book of Numbers. A very interesting chapter which is a reminiscence of Numbers 27. The gist of this chapter is that, if you recall, in Numbers 27, the daughters of Zelopahad had approached Moses that their dad or their fathers had died in the wilderness because of their own sin. And uh, 
no male was left in their family. Essentially, uh, they didn't have brothers. So they had brought their consent to Moses, saying that they do not want their father's name to be erased from the books. And then uh, the Lord had agreed with them and gave instructions uh, for how land should be given to them as well. That way, their father's names were not erased from the Israelite community. You can go back and refresh your memory out of Numbers 27. So here we see another request, okay, pertaining to the inheritance of Zelopodat's daughters. Again, another progressive revelation of the Lord. And like I said in Numbers 27, that some of us may read these verses and laugh that who would be fighting about land and male versus female. And I had made a comment that in certain remote villages in Africa or even in Asia or in still in the Middle East, this thing still happened where if there is no male, living male in the household and the father dies, the women will not inherit anything. So these laws, while they may seem a kick to some of us who live in the U.S. or in Europe, Many tribal clans in remote areas of the world are still using these guidelines to uh, distribute property. So we should take heed to the principles here are still extremely applicable. Okay, so we come to Numbers 36. Let's take a look at the first few verses. The family heads of the clan of Gilead, son of Mekah, the son of Manasseh, who were from the clans of the descendants of Joseph, came and spoke before Moses and the leaders, the heads of the Israelite families. Verse 2, they said, When the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as an inheritance to the Israelites by Lord, he ordered you to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophethat to his daughters. Verse 3, now they are going to propose a... Uh, Hypothetical situation, okay, that is possibly could happen. Verse 3, now suppose, so these leaders came to Moses with this, with this hypothetical situation that could possibly happen. And we will learn further revelation from the Lord how to handle this situation. So that is what is happening here. Verse 3, now suppose, these are the leaders talking to Moses. Suppose they marry men from other Israelite tribes then their inheritance will be taken from our ancestral inheritance and added to that of the tribe they marry into. And so part of the inheritance allotted to us will be taken away. Verse 4, when the year of Jubilee for the Israelites comes, their inheritance will be added to that of the tribes into which they marry and their property will be taken from the tribal inheritance of our ancestors. So essentially, this is wise right here. These leaders came to Moses and said, hey, the Lord had given you an ordinance, like I had discussed in Numbers 27, to give land to these daughters, okay, whose uh, fathers died in the wilderness and there were no sons. What if these daughters got married to men from a different tribe in the year of Jubilee? we will lose our land because our land will be given to the men that they married to from different tribes. So true. Wow. 
So in verse 5, we will hear the Lord's response. Then at the Lord's command, Moses gave this order to the Israelites. What the tribe of the descendants of Joseph is saying is right. This is what the Lord commands for Zelopopha's daughters. They may marry anyone they please as long as they marry within their father's tribal clan. No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another. For every Israelite shall keep their tribal inheritance of their ancestors. That is it right there. That is the further revelation of the Lord. Because of this, of course, God agreed with their wisdom. God gave further revelation about the, the land distribution when they get into the promised land. That no tribe uh, should, no exchange of land should occur within the tribes. Verse 8, every daughter who inherits his land in any Israel tribe must marry someone in her father's tribal clan so that every Israelite will possess the inheritance of their ancestors. Verse 9, powerful. No inheritance may pass from one tribe to another for each Israelite tribe is to keep the land it inherits. And the Lord would further go on to describe how he had given them the land as a gift. They should not be transferring the, the land from one tribe to another tribe. And the rest of those verses teach how the daughters of Zelophethas, they married within their tribe, tribal clan, they obeyed the Lord's commandment, and that brought peace. So while this may sound as if the Lord is telling them who to marry, who to marry, what to marry, that is not the issue here. It's a principle. The Lord wants peace. It's a God of peace. So God came with a peaceful resolution to avoid this potential problem that may happen, okay? And as we progress in this study in the Old Testament, when we come to 1 Kings chapter 21, when we get into the story of Ahab and, and Naboth, we will learn how this principle was in operation and how it brought problems, okay? Because Naboth understood this principle that the, the land from one tribe cannot go to another tribe. That was an ordinance from God. But Ahab wanted to violate that principle and it led to much trouble. So when God says something, it may not make sense to us. But at the end of it all, it truly will benefit us. So by the Lord giving this, this ordinance, it was just to keep peace within the various clans so that brother don't fight against brother, so that tribe don't fight against tribe because they are all his children, the Israelites. So we come to verse 13. These are the commands and regulations the Lord gave through Moses to the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So that brings us to the end of the book of Numbers. Boy, I have really learned a lot. And so what are the major principles we have learned from um, Numbers 32 through 36, God, principle number one, God always wants to bless, or bless us more than we deserve. Okay? We learn that as we see God blessing the Israelites and roots to the promised land, giving them the land of the Amorites even before they get into the uh, promised land. But we also learned how 
the tribe of um, Robonites and Gadidites and half tribe of Manasseh settled for less. In my view, okay, they, they were content with what they had received on the east side of the Jordan even before getting into the promised land to receive the best. But the principle is that God always wants to give us more than we can even imagine. But so many times we settle for less. Principle number two, we learned how it is crucial for us to track our spiritual journey with the Lord. Okay, we learned that uh, when the Lord told Moses to write down the journey of the Israelites in the wilderness. And writing down the spiritual journey serves as an antidote to us. When we are going through a hard time, we can always look back at our journal of the miracles the blessings, the provisions of God in our lives, and that will remind us of his goodness. And it's a powerful antidote against anxiety, fear, and worry. We also talked about God's fairness. That's principle number three. God is a fair and a just God. We talked about how he made provision for those who killed others unintentionally, so he could protect them. And also we saw God's fairness in the way he distributed the land. He gave the Israelites specific instructions how the land in Canaan, once they possess it, has to be distributed. And the application is that God is still fair with us today. God is still willing to bless us abundantly, exceedingly until it overflows. But at times, many of us settled, many Christians settled rather than allowing the blessings of God to chase them. So don't be in a hurry to settle. Let God bless you fully like he wants to bless you. Okay? And uh, most importantly, the application also about the, the importance of memory to journal, write down your spiritual journey with the Lord and use that as a buffer to come against doubt fear, worry, cares. So each time you start to doubt whether or not God will deliver you from whatever you might be going through, go back and revisit your journey, recount your blessings, and it is a powerful buffer. God is faithful, faithful, faithful to the max. It is us who are not faithful. So if we can learn to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God, his goodness in our lives, we would really, in essence, embrace each day with much confidence and nothing to worry about. I hope you receive that. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for the lessons we have learned. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is ever-present to teach us and to guide us. We ask you, Lord, to just bring into our remembrance all of these principles we've learned from you we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us practical ways to put this into practice so we can glorify you, Father God. I pray for all the listeners that you continuously guide your steps. Let your presence shine through their lives for others to see. Open their hearts so they can hear your still voice and walk in obedience so that your blessings will chase them. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody say Amen. So as you proceed with your day today, remember that God is with you. 
always, enabling you to overcome in Jesus' name. I am Chris Oram. Stay blessed and bye for now.